Bakersoft Story Classic, bringing to you recordings of old storybooks. The Thorn in the Nest, Episode 31 No, Marion was not quite alone. Her four-footed friend and protector would not forsake her, though for a time he seemed divided between the duty of watching over her and succoring Kenneth. When the latter fell, Caius sprang forward with a loud bark, as with the double purpose to save him and to avenge him upon his cowardly assailant. But Marion's cry recalled him instantly to her side. He stood over her, gazing into her white, rigid face with a low whine. Then he gently tried to rouse her, pulling at her dress, then licking her hands, and then her face. At last she opened her eyes, sat up, and looked about her. Where was she? What had happened? Where was Kenneth? It all came back to her, and with an anguished cry she staggered to her feet drew trembling, shudderingly, near to the edge of the cliff, and looked down. Nothing to be seen but rocks and trees, and the little stream quietly wending its way through the valley below. Kenneth, she shrieked wildly, Kenneth, Kenneth, but there was no answer, and now her eye caught that little confused heap. Was it he? She seemed to recognize the clothing he had worn. Oh, he was dead, how could it be? Otherwise, after that fearful fall, she swooned again, and Caius dragged her away from the perilous spot and renewed his efforts to revive her. How long before he succeeded, she could never tell. Or how, when at last consciousness returned, she made her way to her pony, untethered him, and got upon his back. She left him to his own guidance, and he took the right road for home. She seemed to see nothing but Kenneth lying cold and dead at the foot of the precipice, to know nothing but that he was gone from her forever, and that Littleton, the man she had once loved, was his murderer. The pony stopped at the gate. Marian lifted her head. What, who was that coming slowly, and with limping, halting gait to meet her from the other direction? She looked again, and a cry of joy, so intense that it was near akin to pain, burst from her pallid lips. Torn, bruised, scratched, disheveled, clothing hanging in tatters, the difficult, awkward, evidently painful, and toilsome movement as different as possible from his accustomed, free, manly, energetic carriage, it was yet, without doubt, Kenneth himself. Caius bounded toward him with a joyous spark of recognition, and Marion sprang to the ground and rushed with outstretched arms to meet him, crying, O oh, Kenneth, Kenneth, is it, can it be you? Oh, I thought, I thought, the rest was lost in a burst of weeping as she clasped him close, then holding him off, gazed shudderingly into his face, so bruised, wan, and bloody that she might well have doubted if it were indeed he. Yes, he gasped, staggering and catching at the fence for support. I have had a wonderful deliverance, 
and you, darling, oh, the Lord be praised that you are here safe and sound. Their approach had been seen from the house, and mother and servants now came running to ask what had befallen, every face full of agitation and alarm at sight of Kenneth's condition. But seeing that he was half fainting, the mother stopped all questioning till he could be got into the house, laid upon a bed, and his wounds dressed. There were no broken bones, he presently assured her of that, but the jar to the whole system, the bruises and cuts, would confine him to his couch for some days. Great was her astonishment when told whence he had fallen. How is it possible you can have escaped alive? she exclaimed, her usually calm face full of emotion. It seems nothing short of a miracle. Yes, he said with deep gravity and a faraway look in his eyes, my thought as I felt myself falling was that I was going to certain instant death, but there was a joyful consciousness that all would be well. But what saved you, she asked in almost breathless excitement, the trees and the sand joined to my light weight were my heavenly father's instruments to that end he answered his grave tender smile the bank of the stream just there is a deep bed of soft sand that is overhung by water willows with very thick very pliant branches and towering above them from fifty to seventy feet high are oaks and other varieties of trees I must have fallen first into those, and without striking any large branch, from them into the willows, and from them onto the bed of sand. I was there when I came to myself. How long I had lain there insensible I cannot tell, but it must have been a good while. I had a good deal of difficulty in dragging myself home, could not get to Marion by any shorter route, and thought to send Zeb for her. Poor child, I was very anxious about you, he added, with an affectionate glance at her, for I did not know but the Englishman might have carried you off. He's bad enough, no doubt, if he had wanted me, she cried indignantly, but it seems he did not, fortunately. She alone of the three showed any feeling of bitterness toward Littleton, while the other's resentment was swallowed up in thankfulness. They made no effort for the apprehension of the criminal, and indeed let it be supposed by their friends and acquaintances, and even their own servants, that Kenneth's fall was accidental. They heard casually in a day or two that Littleton had been a boarder for several weeks past at a solitary farmhouse some miles distant, but had left on the day of Dr. Clennon's accident traveling in an easterly direction. The sudden turn affairs had taken proved a decided benefit to Marian. Her thoughts were turned from herself and her sorrows to her suffering brother. She was his nurse, quite as devoted and affectionate as he had been to her, and in her detestation of Littleton's crime, she lost the last vestige of regard for him, of regret of his desertion. She could never again be quite the careless child she was of yore, but grief and disappointment had lost their keen edge, and she would one day emulate the calm, placid resignation of her mother. The change that came over her greatly lightened the hearts of the two who loved her so dearly. For Kenneth, too, clouds and darkness were breaking away, and the star of hope shone brightly. 
He at first thought Littleton's accusation against him that he had robbed him of his lady love referred to Marion, but on reflection he felt convinced that it was Miss Lamar the man meant. The admission being unguardedly made, while half maddened by anger and resentment, it seemed very unlikely that he would have left Chillicothe just then, so suddenly, and for such a length of time, and without bidding adieu to Nell, if they were really engaged. Beside Dale, in his last letter, had expressed in strong terms his conviction that Littleton's boast was utterly false. As Kenneth thought on these things, and remembered that he was now free to win the long, coveted prize, if he could, as he talked it all over with her, whom he still called mother, his impatience to get back to chilly coffee grew apace. A visit to England would be necessary for the settlement of his affairs there, but the business which called him to Chillicothe was of far more importance in his esteem, and must be attended to first. He took Marian into his confidence as far as might be without causing her sorrow and distress, and with a promise of a visit to Glen Forest both on his way to the seaboard, when about to set sail for England and on his return reconciled her to his departure for Ohio as soon as he was sufficiently recovered from his fall to be able to travel. Thank you for listening to another episode of Acresoft Story Classic. <laughs>